This episode of Pop Health Week is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand narrative alive both on the ground and in the virtual space for major trade show, conference, and innovation summits via our signature pop-up studio. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. And welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer and co-host of Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague, co-founder, and principal co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. Our guest today is Nancy Brickhouse, Ph.D., Provost and Chief Academic Officer of Baylor University, a tenured professor of education and a nationally recognized scholar. Dr. Brickhouse oversees the university's 12 colleges and schools, research enterprise, university libraries, and centers and institutes. She previously served as provost at St. Louis University, a Jesuit research university with 8,000 undergraduate students and 6,000 graduate students at its main campus in St. Louis. During her tenure, she played a key role in repositioning St. Louis University's finance operations and academic endeavors to meet a rapidly changing higher education landscape. Her time at St. Louis University included the development of university-wide undergraduate learning outcomes and strengthened support for teaching quality. Dr. Brickhouse also initiated a robust portfolio of faculty development programs, including those designed to support female faculty and others historically underrepresented at the full professor rank and in academic leadership positions. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Provost Brickhouse. Thanks so much, Greg and Nancy. Welcome to Pop Health Week. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. It's been great to get the opportunity to obviously work a little bit with you and get to learn some of your experience and stuff. But why don't we start today with a bit of an introduction of yourself and a bit about Baylor. So I am the provost at Baylor University. What that means, I'm the chief academic officer, and I basically oversee the work of the faculty. So whatever it is faculty do, whether it's teaching, whether it's research, whether it's service, I'm kind of the one who oversees all that. I'm uh, in my second year as as, uh, provost at Baylor University, and prior to that, I was at St. Louis University, and prior to that, I was at the University of Delaware. But I'm a native Texan, so I'm returning home. Uh, It's really great to be back home. And I understand you went to Baylor as an undergrad, is that right? I did. I am a proud alum of Baylor University, so I've come full circle. Although I will say the uh, undergraduate class is probably twice as large as it was when I was a student here. So uh, while there are a lot of things that are the same, there are also a lot of things that are different. Obviously, things move forward, and it's it's great to see it. And your background, though, you actually did undergraduate understanding chemistry and got a master's in chemistry as well. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I was a chemistry major here at, at Baylor, and then I did my graduate work, graduate work at Purdue. And that was in? My PhD is in science education. And so, you know, it's been very interesting working in a pandemic mm-hmm. because so much of managing a pandemic is about managing behavior. And the way that you manage behavior is very much an educational effort. And I've always been kind of a science for the people kind of person. All my research is really about, you know, how do we create a more educated populace, particularly educated in the sciences. And so in a way, the pandemic's been fascinating from a purely intellectual point of view. Mm -hmm. If only the stakes weren't so high. 
Exactly, exactly. And so Baylor early on did a, a really good job bringing the students back and has always been, as I've noticed, it really student focused, faculty focused, employee focused. What are some of the things that you've seen the work you've done at Baylor to, one, get the input from the faculty and, and to uh, make, make decisions that allow them to feel comfortable coming back to work? So first of all, let me give you a little bit of context in terms of Baylor. We have about 15,000 undergrads, which um, is almost entirely residential. Um, prior to the pandemic, only 8% of our faculty had ever taught online. We then have another 5,000 uh, graduate students, many of whom are also residential, but we do have a growing presence of online students as well. That gives you kind of a sense of the scale in terms of the students. For the faculty, we have about 1,000 faculty. You know, getting faculty buy-in was incredibly important. In the spring, when we moved to online, when we made that shift from uh, fully face-to-face -to, -face to purely online, we literally had a week to do that. And again, the faculty, the vast majority had no experience with it. And so our faculty, though, are so dedicated to the students. They really just kind of buckled down and just tried to figure it out. We provided resources for them. We had a lot of resources within our library in particular, as well as within professional and continuing education in our teaching center. That was a, a big uh, learning curve, but the faculty really stepped up to the plate. And then in the summer, we provided even more resources to help them learn how to teach well uh, in this new environment. Faculty don't like to teach. I mean, they're so committed to our students. They want to do a good job. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was a big hurdle to overcome. Um, and so, and again, we just continued to really focus on providing the resources to the faculty so they would be successful. And you made the decision sort of in the summer that you were going to try to get to this hybrid approach with both in-person classes as well as online, while many other places were doing either strictly online classes. And I think we've seen some of the issues associated with that and the benefits to having some sort of face-to-face -face classes. How did that go and what were some of the issues and thoughts from the faculty there? Well, keep in mind that, again, Baylor is a highly residential undergraduate program. The expectations of our students and uh, their families is for a residential experience. And so the idea that we were going to go fully online, like some of our uh, university friends did, there's just no way to sell that to the community. And the faculty know that. You know, what we did was we let faculty who really had conditions that really put them at risk for the virus, we in the spring gave them the opportunity to raise their hand and say, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not the person to be standing in the classroom with kids mm -hmm. who might be sick. And so we got them online uh, teaching opportunities and then faculty who could teach face-to-face, -face, we provided them with a safe environment, you know, six foot social distancing, a masking mandate, you know, ongoing testing so that they could get comfortable with the fact that the classroom was actually a very safe place to be. And all in all, I would think, it, I think it went very well in that I think the faculty did feel safe. It took them a little while to get there. <laughs> yeah. And were there certain classes that I know, I'm thinking university classes, boy, you've got everything from, 
you know, a typical classroom to a lab to other things like that, particularly as you get into some of the, the STEM classes or things like that. Were there certain ways you handled that or the faculty dealt with that? Oh, absolutely. I'll have to say probably the most interesting ones were our performing arts. We have a music school. We have a theater program. But I will say that they learned more about this pandemic than just about any other unit. I mean, they really studied the science and figured out what it was they could do, what it was they couldn't do. And so a lot of our musicians met outside, for example, in tents in the open air, you know, spaced and masked. They took their big ensembles and they split it up into smaller ensembles. And the thing that was really interesting about this was that the students were getting an experience that they probably wouldn't have gotten without the pandemic because they're learning a whole new literature that's focused much more on small ensembles than, than they may otherwise have if they were playing only in a large symphony. Yeah, as I recall, Baylor set up these tents outside, some of them just the covers, and mm -hmm. then there was the opportunity for groups like your music groups and others, dance groups, to use those as spaces to conduct their classes or their mm -hmm. rehearsals and things like that. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. We also had theater performances that were done entirely outside. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. How was the, were there any differences in terms of how people had to teach or things like that? I know that that's been something that's been discussed at other places, different approaches to teaching indoors versus outdoors. Did you see any of that? You know, people largely taught outside only if they really needed to. And it was intended uh -huh. to be for these very special kinds of groups like, you know, like the performing arts. You know, we do. We were fortunate enough to have enough inside space to be able to manage most of those, most of the classrooms that really needed to be inside. We were able to keep those inside. I should also say we also used local churches. So we actually spanned out into the community, uh, particularly the music school and the law school. The law school had to do a mock court, for example. They do a lot of practice court, mock court stuff, which really takes a large space. And they didn't have a large enough space at the law school for people to be able to do the six foot social distancing. And so they did it at local sanctuaries, church sanctuaries. And, um, you know, that seemed to, you know, fit the need. Right. Grab a bigger space. You're able to spread right. out, get the people in. That's fantastic. That's just a great idea. And as you think about those, what percentage of your classes were actually conducted in person? About a third were entirely in person. And then another third was mostly in person, but had some online components or there, or students might be cycling in and out between online and face-to-face. -face. And then one third fully online. We don't have enough space and no university has enough space <laughs> right. to have fully face-to-face -face and have the six foot distancing requirements. Yeah, that's really been an interesting issue, and we see that all the way from K to 12, up through the universities, et cetera, because you think about the standard classroom, and I remember in my days way back when going to college, you know, some of those classrooms were small, and you had 20, 30 students in that place, so, and then, of course, you had the big 500-room <laughs> ones as well that, that were interesting, so did the, uh, for those hybrid classes, were they did you schedule where some people came in on certain days and other days other students came in or was it some people were just hybrid and some were in class or a little of both? It was a little of both. And we hybrid is actually a very broad category, <laughs> uh -huh. but it basically means that you have some students online and some face to face. 
And yes, yeah, some would say, okay, this group of students comes in on Tuesday and this group of student comes in on Thursday. So about half of your time is spent face-to-face. -face. Uh, I will also say of the three modes of teaching, that was the least popular for both students and faculty. They found it much easier to, to commit one way or the other than to try to straddle that world. And so one of the things that we saw this spring was the number of sections that were offered in that hybrid mode went down because most students and faculty really ended up choosing one or the other. And so you went through the first or fall semester, successfully got through that classes, and then you come up on the spring semester. Obviously, we had this big bump that everyone was concerned about post-Christmas holidays and the, and the new year and stuff. So were there any changes that you made in terms of that you say, obviously, your hybrid classes went down or those that were done both ways? So how's it looking now? Well, you know, it was funny. I was one of those, you might recall, that was pretty uptight about the start of the spring. Uh, I was really concerned because cases were so high and I, you know, I, we didn't really change much and well, we didn't change anything in the way that classrooms were set up. Mm -hmm. Again, our number of hybrid courses went down for more face-to-face. -face. We had more face-to-face -face and more online. The big thing we changed was we went to more frequent testing of everybody. We partnered with a lab so that it could be located on campus. And we invested in some instrumentation for that lab, managed to bring down the cost of the testing. And by bringing down the cost of the testing, we moved from testing 10% of the students every week to basically testing everybody weekly. And that's students, and what about faculty and staff? Yeah, faculty and staff were also tested weekly. Mm -hmm. I will tell you the difference there is that I think for the most part, faculty and staff have been very grateful uh, uh -huh. for weekly testing. They consider it really a benefit, whereas most of the students, you know, have come to terms with it, but not all of them love testing every week. The few groups that say, uh, I'm not so sure about this idea, but certainly that allowed the university to keep itself operating by, by really closely monitoring that and obviously then getting into contact tracing and quarantine and isolation where appropriate. Yeah. Well, our contact tracing team has been fabulous. I mean, they're, they're, they're on them almost as soon as they're identified. I should also say with our testing lab on campus, we get results back in, in 24 hours. The contact tracing team's right on and we get them isolated. And uh, that's made a big difference in us being able to control our cases this spring. Yeah, I think, you know, today you've really done a fantastic job because you actually, there are so many universities today that are still wondering at what point do we stop out online and try to have some classes. And you've shown essentially that there's a way to do this. It's not the risk of zero, but it definitely can be done. And, uh, and it's so important as we're seeing with the mental health of students and others who are mm -hmm. being isolated and not having classes, et cetera. So it's been great to see that. I mean, I would say that we don't know of any cases in which someone has caught COVID-19 in a classroom. And uh, I do believe that the faculty also feel safe in our classrooms because of the way that we've distanced, we've got everybody masked. It is a safe environment. Right, right. And as you look out into the next semester, next year, how do you see that? What sort of things are being considered? Obviously, it's still really early and things can change as we know 
we'll see where the numbers progress over the next couple of months. But what is the thinking, you know, in terms of school for next year? I am hearing others talk about, hey, we're going to try to really be open. So, oh, I I really anticipate that we will be as well. That I expect that we will have a largely vaccinated Baylor community that will be able to meet in classrooms with regular distancing in the fall, that it will be much more the residential experience that Baylor has always been known for. You know, the big questions are, you know, how are we going to assure that everybody who can take the vaccine does take the vaccine? You know, how do we encourage that behavior? Because that's going to make a big difference Mm -hmm. in terms of what the campus experience is like in the fall. You know, also will be questions that we'll need to address around what kind of testing we're going to do, what kind of masking we're going to expect. Some of those details, I just don't think we know enough about what the conditions are going to be in the fall to know what the answers to those questions are right now. Right. It's still an open issue, the whole group of them, in a sense. And I know you've been, the university's been really in close communications with the county and others around trying to get access to vaccines. And I think that's been a really forward-thinking approach uh, that I'm not sure everybody out there is doing that. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week. Our guest is Nancy Brickhouse, Ph.D., Provost and Chief Academic Officer of Baylor University, a tenured professor of education, and a nationally recognized scholar. Well, I will say that one of the things that was really important to us as a university when this pandemic hit was to make sure that the, that the university's impact on the community was either zero or positive. <laughs> there are a lot of communities around Baylor University that are very vulnerable in, in this pandemic. And we recognized that and we wanted to make sure that there was not spill out from you know, young people <laughs> having a negative impact on surrounding communities. And I have to say, I feel really pleased with what we've done there, that there's the county has been very complimentary of everything that the university has done. We've worked closely with them to keep them informed in terms of um, what our thinking was, in terms of how we're going to mitigate the disease on campus how we were going to prevent spillover into the community. We've sought their advice, and they have continued to be very supportive of all the measures that we've taken. Uh, We've worked with the county as well in terms of getting the vaccine and helping to distribute the vaccine. Actually, at McLean Stadium, our football stadium, we've had drive-up vaccines uh, where you can get a shot in the arm without getting out of your car. It's a great use of a big parking lot that's not being used when it's not football season. We intend to continue to be a good resource for the community in that regard. One of the other things that clearly came up early on as we were working with you is is you're you know, one of these top-notch universities. So within your faculty, you have incredible expertise across much of what we're trying to deal with. And that's been incredible to watch that kind of rise up and come together from the different groups as well. Well, you know, being new to Baylor, I didn't know that we had these individuals at Baylor. <laughs> and I have to say, when when this first happened, I felt a little concerned because we don't have a medical school. Right. Uh, you know, my my friends who who have a medical school right there on campus, I thought, man, they've got they've got resources. Well, actually, we had more resources than I knew. 
I just didn't know who these people were. And so we've had tremendous help from faculty who, whose research is actually in, in the area of managing pandemics. I mean, who would have thought that the chair of anthropology, for example, I mean, I might have looked at environmental science. We also had <laughs> fabulous expertise there. That might have been a little bit predictable, but anthropology, really? Right. We have a lot of experience there, and they have been so generous with their time uh, and their expertise and have provided invaluable advice mm -hmm. uh, to help us manage this pandemic. And I would assume that that advice from those individuals at those various departments is something that the other faculty obviously would look to and say, wow, you know, yeah. that's a big help for you as you try to bring the others along. Is that right? Absolutely. They know the language of Baylor. They've got friends at Baylor. They help explain the crazy things that the administration is doing. And I will also say one of the things that I think is interesting about this group of faculty is they're actually not, they don't think alike. And yeah. so when you're trying to make difficult decisions, that's a particular asset because you're not just getting a point of view, you're getting multiple points of view. And that's really helpful as well. Right. To get those diverging opinions or disparate opinions so you can then come to some sort of a conclusion and make sure you've thought through all of the possible different scenarios. It's been fascinating to watch that. Yeah. Oh, listen, when uh, when Michael Muhlenbein and Ben Ryan agree, you know what's the right thing. <laughs> right. right. Very true. Very true. And you may want to let our audience know who Michael and Ben are, although we did have a show with Ben a couple of weeks ago. So uh, Ben Ryan is uh, in the environmental science department and he works, he's uh, in public health. He does a, a lot of work with uh, disaster preparedness, including pandemics. Michael Muhlenbein is chair of the anthropology department and he's a medical anthropologist. And so he studies this disease much more at the molecular level. Yeah, and I know there were some educational programs or not maybe question and answer sessions you did with your faculty and things like that and brought in those folks as well. Absolutely. And so is faculty fairly comfortable now where things are? You know, I think they are. The, uh, there's been, of course, a little bit of a kerfluffle in Texas with the uh, governor lifting the masking mandate and going to 100% open. So a lot of people have worried about the position that that would put universities in. Mm -hmm. And faculty in particular have reached out to me. They were concerned because I think the agreement that the faculty had was that, hey, we'll teach in person. Okay, that's what we'll do. But the administration's job is to keep in place these uh, health management techniques that we know present, prevent the spread of the disease that will keep me safe so I can be in the classroom. I mean, that was the deal. And you can't really change that deal mid-semester. And my understanding is, having actually read that executive order, that yes, he said you can't mandate, that there's not going to be a state mandate, but individual organizations or companies can. But obviously then you're dealing with somebody who just says, well, I don't care. Right. right. And that gets really tough. Yeah. Um, and my understanding is, I mean, to date, the mask wearing has been pretty good at Baylor, as I understand, from all the yeah. folks. Yeah. yeah, I think for the most part, yes. I mean, that's not to say that there aren't times when students let their guard down. Right. But, um, you know, I think we've seen compliance increase over time. It's gotten better over time in spite of the fact that they're more exhausted. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's become more accepted. I think people have gotten used to it. I'll have to say the other thing in Texas, you know, wearing a mask when it's uh, 40 degrees outside isn't so bad. The problem is really when it's 100 degrees. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> That's not pleasant. Yeah, we haven't gone through that yet in Florida. It's coming up, so I'm waiting to see what the summer is going to be like with our humidity. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let me ask you one other question that I hadn't really thought about. What's been the impact of this on some of the university's research and the faculty's ability to do research? Obviously, we've hindered travel and things like that. Yeah, it, it has certainly cut down on travel. But um, actually, our research has continued to grow. Wow. Uh, Baylor's research is currently growing at about 30% a year, at least in, in terms of research expenditures. And the pandemic did not have much impact on that. So, you know, and there have been opportunities for some individuals to reorient their uh, research in ways that address the pandemic and actually take this as an opportunity to do research that they might not otherwise have been able to do. For example, we have a big program uh, through our Baylor Collaborative on, on Hunger and Poverty that sends out meals to young children because when schools are closed in rural areas that means students don't eat with the pandemic that's become a particularly serious concern and so our efforts to really ramp up that whole initiative and to not only you know provide the meals but to also understand food distribution systems you know those kinds of research questions Um, there's been a lot of opportunity to really ramp up in that area. Well, that's a fantastic initiative. And I want to thank you so much, Nancy, for coming on Pop Health Week. It's been a pleasure having you. It's great to see you. It's a great, it's been fun to talk. Thanks so much. Back to you, Greg. And that is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Nancy Brickhouse, PhD, Provost and Chief Academic Officer of Baylor University for her time today. Do follow Dr. Brickhouse and Baylor's work on Twitter via at Baylor and on the web at www.baylor.edu. And finally, if you're enjoying our work at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they become available. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Health Innovation Media, this is Greg Masters saying, Please stay safe, everyone. We are in this together, and we will get through this together. If we toe the line on social distancing, proper hygiene, and by all means, do wear those masks when in public, even in Texas. Bye now.